What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Godly Dating 101 podcast. It's your boy here, and we have a special guest in the building. He doesn't want me to call him Pastor Bacluda. He wants to go by JP. So let's give a warm welcome, Pastor JP. Thank you what's for up, joining man? me, man. Well, what's up? Should I call you Pastor Tavares? No, no, no. Please don't. Please don't. Okay. Tavares is fine. All right. We're going <laughs> casual. We're going casual today. No, no. So as you guys know, every time I do a poll, many of you are writing in his name. You know, so I had to look him up. I had to listen to some sermons, a couple podcasts. I knew about your podcast in the past. You used to be one of the leaders at Porch, correct? That's right. That's right. All right. So. That's where I first heard your name, you know, so I checked you out a couple of times in the past. And now I see that you're another, you're pastoring another church. And if I'm not mistaken, Harris Creek. So Creek. Two, yeah. Two years ago, we moved from Dallas to Waco, which was just kind of this crazy thing. Cause man, the porch had my heart and I loved that ministry, loved being with young adults, millennials and Gen Z, and really had spent a decade of my life just studying a generation and advocating for generation. And, uh, you know, I, I never really wanted to plant a church, never thought I would lead a church other than Watermark, the one that I was at, mm-hmm. and yet really saw a need. And, and as we prayed as a family, we sensed the Lord saying, hey, we, th- we, you know, I think you can meet this need. And so we journeyed two hours south and bought a house and moved into a 145-year-old Baptist church in Waco, Texas. And so that's where we're living the dream now with Chip and Joe and just, you know, we're going for it. Ship lap and all. Yeah, man. I've been to Texas before, but I haven't been to Waco. I'm just assuming all of Texas is great. So hopefully you're enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I, I came to, to work on a horse and I just took off my 10-gallon <laughs> cowboy hat. And that's just how we do in Texas, man, honestly. Yeah, I see that you also wrote a couple books. Um, Welcome to Adulting, and one that we want to talk about today, and it's called Outdated. My copy just came yesterday, unfortunately, so I'm not finished reading. Um, so hopefully, you can dive in some more. But I was reading a chapter that I would love to hear you talk about today. But before we talk about that chapter, I want to know what was your your heart behind writing Outdated. Yeah, man. So when you're doing young adult ministry, I mean, you got a front row seat to, you know, hundreds and and I, I mean, honestly, and this, you know, thousands of relationships, really tens of thousands of relationships over 12 years. And so I've done dozens of weddings. I mean, I stood up there as as bride and groom came together before God and said, you know, till death do us part, I'm gonna love you forever. And you may kiss the bride, you know, I now pronounce you husband and wife. I mean, I have said that a few times. And so, so much of ministry's pattern recognition. I mean, you're just seeing what young adults do that leads to life, that leads to life-giving relationships and healthy marriages. And you're seeing what people do that leads to anxiety and heartbreak and sleepless nights and crying yourself to sleep. And, and, and so I just start writing down some of those patterns, Tavares. And I'm like, all right, God, what if this is helpful? Well, then I'm a, I'm a teacher of the Bible. You know, this is this book, this collection of 66 books has changed my life radically, changed the way I date. By the way, I'm a dude that did everything wrong. And so Monica and I met as pagans. You know, we met, we met, we, we dated in the club and, uh, and did all the, all the things that pagans do. And I, I mean, when I met her, I had a healthy sex addiction. When I say healthy, I mean unhealthy sex addiction, pornography addiction. I mean, all of these things, that's my past. And then Jesus comes into my life and the Holy Spirit begins to, to clean house. And, and so then we kind of pulled a parking brake on all the, the intimate physical stuff. And I'm like, we should get married. And so we get married in the first years of the honeymoon, the second years, the wheels fall off. 
And so I have my own relationship baggage that I'm dealing with. Meanwhile, I'm watching all of these people, you know, go into relationships and I just see the wisdom that God's word offers. And so I start writing that down and putting verses to situations. And I realize that, man, this stuff is really helpful to people. And at the end of the day, I don't give a rip about selling books. I want to be helpful to people. Like that's why I left my job in corporate America to, to go make the big money and, in, in, in you know, pastoring a church. And I'm saying that as a joke so that I could help people. And uh, that's been the best part about writing outdated is getting these emails. I and mean, I was checking emails before we jumped on this of people like, man, this I'm already engaged. You know, this radically changed my life. I now see singleness as a, as a different kind of gift. I understand what God desires for relationships. I'm going to go about dating in a completely different way. I mean, those emails are, are just filling my heart right now. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man, that's amazing. Um, I'm in the process of trying to write myself. So prayers up that it can be at least half the blessing that outdated is. Um, the topic I wanted, the chapter I want, the chapter I wanted us to talk about is no strings attached. Um, and, and your wife's name was Monica, right? I want to make sure that. I, okay. Yeah. So I want to start off way before pastoring, you know, newborn Christian when you were younger. One of the things you mentioned in that chapter that really stuck out to me was how you were like a kid who, you know, you're just trying to do things the right way. You mentioned you even had a purity ring at one point. And then as time went on, you know, that that purity ring, you know, kind of out the door, you know, having a unhealthy, you know, sex addiction, you know, you just mentioned things like pornography. So it's just like many of our audience are still younger. They're still early um, high school. Some of them are actual middle school. So what do you, how, how do you relate to them? Like mention you know, how that process started, like, how do you feel like gradual slope, you know, came about in your life? Yeah, man. I, you know, I don't even know that it was gradual. I, uh, you know, I just, I'm about to get naked heads up, <laughs> but, uh, so I went through true love weights. I was, a, you know, I was, I was, I went to a Catholic school for nine years, got the religion award eight out of nine years, which was a thing that was a, an, a reward they gave or an award that they gave at the end of the year. My mom was Lutheran. I went to Lutheran church. Sometimes my parents were married, went to different, different churches, stay married. Uh, I was involved in this Baptist youth group called Teen Time. You know, we did True Love Weights. I got the ring, the whole deal, made the pledge and um, always found identity in girls. Like, man, that just was my thing. Like that, that was uh, where I went for affirmation was relationships since the fifth grade. I mean, as long as I can remember, honestly. And I, I started dating this girl and I'm not blaming her. I mean, this is this is my fault. But I mean, she just was more experienced, if you will, than I was. And I mean, one day we're alone and we're hanging out and, you know, one thing led to another and we had sex and I, man, honestly, that night I cried so hard. I remember just, just sobbing. Like I was an emotional wreck, all the guilt and the, the shame and the confusion. And it's like, what? And, and just like, it was just so weird. And as the enemy does in those moments, it went from like weird to sport so fast. I mean, it was just like, what did I do? And then it was like, all right, now I'm damaged. You know, I'm not a virgin anymore. I don't have these like spiritual trophies. And so now let's just, you know, that was kind of fun. And so maybe I can just like remove the guilt, remove the shame and like capture the fun and the pleasure and let's go. And so then as the guy that found identity in relationships, like that just kind of became my thing. And so as you continue 
you know, then you go to college and you have the, all the freedom that college offers and none of the maturity to go with it. And then you get out of college and you start to make a little bank. And so now you got all of the freedom, a little coin, you know, still none of the maturity. And so it just looked like going to the club, you know, afterwards, I mean, going to the club and, and trying to take somebody home and, you know, always having a girlfriend and always having friends with benefits. And, and that was just the way of life for so long uh, until I came into a relationship with Jesus. So during this process that you were going through all of that, did you ever leave the church or were you still there, but just spiritually not there? Yeah, no, when I went to college, I mean, it's pretty textbook. When I went to college, I mean, church was, wasn't a priority. I wasn't going to class and then going, getting up and going to church on Sunday. I did every now and then, like, you know, usually to like my God baggage was, you know, I had to pay a penance or somehow uh, try to go to church to get forgiveness is what I thought was whack theology. And so I, I would do that every now and then, but for the most part, you know, they say drug, sex, and rock and roll. College for me was drug, sex, and hip hop. And, I was going to uh, say, yeah, I didn't get a rock and roll memo, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and so that's, that was college and, and thereafter and church just really wasn't a part of my life. And then when I, then after college, I was like, yeah, I'll start going. And so I would wake up, you know, hungover and go to a church, try to find a place that, that was, you know, we say it was good, like in a sense that I wanted to be entertained and, mm-hmm. you know, get some powerful message that would help fuel me, which is really like, I'm sure there's a lot of your listeners that feel that way. That That's really an immature view of church. Yeah. That, you know, we should be looking for a place that we can contribute to and use our gifts and talents at and, and serve in. Um, but that's just where I was doing. And I was at a man, I was at a club one Saturday night, 18 years ago. And I met this girl that well, I, I knew this girl, I knew her from college and she invited me to a church and I, and, and she, I don't even know if she was a Christian, but we were just like, yeah, I'm gonna go check out this church. Great. Pick me up. And I sat in the back row, hung over. I smelled like smoke from the night before. And, uh, she exits the story, but I kept going and I ended up surrendering my life to Jesus. And, you know, five years later I was in vocational ministry. Wow. You, you really never know how God plays these things out. <laughs> but all right. So now, now, you know, the past is out of the way. I'm not saying you completely got over anything is always a daily struggle to crucify the flesh. I get that. But, you know, when we live in this hookup culture, as I you know, I'll call it, how do you combat that as a Christian? You know, because just because you ended up getting saved didn't mean that the hookup culture just automatically stopped for you or for anyone. You know, so how do you combat that? Yeah, I think I think it depends on what you mean by combat it. If you, if you mean for yourself or you mean stand against the darkness that is around us. And so I think I think both of those start with a right biblical worldview of understanding, you know, that God made us male and female, that he invented sex. Like he's the he's as Steve Jobs is to the iPhone, God is to sex. Like he is the CEO of that. He made the parts, he made them function the way they do. Uh, it, he made them create life, which is just this genius, brilliant design that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit came up with. And and so then what we've done as a culture is, is we've tried to, I, I really believe theologically, God created sex for two reasons. One, to, to bond a husband to his wife and, and a wife to her husband. And two, to bring forth life, that, that a man would place a seed inside a woman and that life would grow inside of her which is just amazing we can't take that for granted 
And, and so the people will say, yeah, but what about pleasure? He made it for pleasure. No, no, no. He made pleasure serve those purposes because if sex felt like a spinal tap, life would cease to exist. Like yeah. we probably wouldn't be all about bringing forth life. And the first great commission is found in Genesis two, where he says, you know, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so the first God's first plan of making disciples is really making babies and, and raising those babies to know him. And so, and so what we've done as a culture in our hookup culture is we've tried to capture that pleasure and separate it from what we see as consequences. And mm -hmm. the consequences are the bonding. Now we call them soul ties or, you know, where we have a hard time breaking up with somebody and, and the consequences are children. And, and really this, these are the benefits of sex. Like God made these as the blessings of sex. And, and yet we see the pleasure as the benefit and we try to capture it for ourselves. And then you introduce a little bit of our control into that. And that's where we're moving through. Like, all right, let me see how much and how often I can experience the pleasure of intimacy without these side effects. And so I think an awareness, like everything I just said, like allowing us to know that is step one in combating that. And then really to understand what marriage is that, that God has designed us. If we want marriage, because if you want to be single, that's also a high calling in the scripture. First yeah. Corinthians 7, verse 7, Matthew 19, Jesus elevates single, the Holy Spirit through Paul elevates singleness. Singleness is a high calling. It's not JV to, to marriage. Uh, right. They're both high callings. They're both good. They're both gifts. But if we desire marriage, that's the then marriage becomes the assignment that we're trying to find a partner for. Yeah. And anytime I'm looking for a partner for an assignment, I have to understand the assignment. And so then I think it's renewing our mind around what is marriage so that we can date in a way that we find a partner for it. So good. So good. Some questions are popping up in my head outside of that, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get out the initial things um, before I hit you with you know some 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 hot shots you know. But you're a pastor now, you're a leader now, and obviously you're doing your thing over at the porch. Now you're doing your thing here at Harris Creek, you know. So you've been you've been serving in a leadership role for a, a good amount of time now. So I know that means you've counseled countless people, you know. So what are some things that you've seen you know take place from? Um, in your counseling sessions on like consequences because of sex outside of marriage, whether you want to talk about married and adultery, or you just want to talk about single and dating, um, single and courting and having, and they're having sex, whatever. Um, but what do you see? Like when you counsel young adults, you know, that deal with this type of thing? Yeah, man, I think we're, first of all, Tavares, I think we're really naive to the consequences. And so when I got married, when I married Monica, the first thing I did was, you know, he say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. We walked down the aisle of this chapel and I held her in my arms in the foyer and I said a prayer and I said, God, thank you for allowing me to escape the consequences of my sin. Wow. And I meant, and like, what I meant is like, I had got to that point without an STD. I had got to that point uh, without a, ch a child, you know, born out of wedlock. And I had got to that point with some, without some psycho ex girlfriend wanting to kill us both. And so I thought, man, I escaped the consequences of my sin. And then we get married and year one's the honeymoon. And then year two, I dealt with the consequences of my sin. That was such a naive prayer because sin always has consequences and we can escape those consequences eternally by, by clinging to the, to Jesus. The cross is his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, but every sin has a consequence. And so like, man, I got scars, you know, and, and the consequences for me were several things. One, I had no idea. 
I had trained myself systematically for polygamy. See, an addiction to pornography is not an addiction to sex. It's an addiction to variety and it's an addiction wow. to counterfeit sex. And so you, when you have multiple partners, you know, you, you really undo that bonding agent that God created sex for, and you train yourself not to bond. And really, if you've had multiple partners, you'll never be satisfied with just one. And so you go into marriage with discontentment planted inside your marriage, like you're already discontent and really you're on a pathway to more discontentment. And this is why you're seeing the highest divorce rate in the history of history. And uh, really a, a decreasing marriage rate, marriage is, we're getting married less, uh, we're, um, we're getting married later and marriages aren't lasting uh, because we've, we've tried to, so those are consequences to sex outside of marriage. And then for the individual, it's discontentment. It's also the shame of comparison. You know, people, you know, will wonder like, gosh, they'll, they'll live in their headspace. But my partner, my, my wife now, or my husband has been with other people. Were they better lovers? What was that like? Does he have those memories? Does she? And so that shame and embarrassment and all those things. Yeah. And so the, the, um, I think you can start living that headspace where you ask those questions like, Hey, are they comparing them to me? Are they, uh, are they, are they still thinking about that? And that's like, we use the word sex and I'm going to be graphic for a minute because it's like sex, sex is like what dogs do on the side of the road. Like that's not what God has called us to the level of intimacy, the mingling of souls that God has called husband and wife to this, this level of, of intimacy where we bring forth life and we, we raise children and we care for one another and we put, put each other's desires in front of our own. And so, man, here's like the biggest consequence is some of the listeners that hear me right now, like they're only ever going to have sex. Like they'll never experience the intimacy that God desired for us. They, they won't graduate to that because, because of an undoing that has happened and the work that requires it's like, like some of the worst consequences is, is people, they, it's kind of like the person that gets addicted to the sugary substitute and all they do is eat candy and then they die of diabetes and, and they die overweight and, and unhealthy with clogged arteries. Like some people, they get addicted to the, the pleasure of sex so that they never have the nourishment and the wholesomeness of, of the full meal and the beauty that God created us for because they're addicted to the counterfeit and, and, and people that when that happens, they grow dysfunctional. They can grow mentally ill. They slowly begin to decay as a human being. They see people as objects and it's, and it's terrible, man. It's, it's satanic. So. This episode is brought to you by visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, um, I want to point out something you mentioned not too long ago. I thought that was a really good point. You mentioned that the addiction to pornography isn't necessarily an addiction to sex. It's really an addi addi addiction to variety. And I want to point that out because I mentioned on the page all the time that a lot of times people, you know, they don't like the relationship or they're bored or they got what they wanted and they just jump ship and they think, oh, I'm looking for the quote unquote, the one. 
When in reality, you're not, you're preparing your heart for divorce because you're jumping ship every time you're bored, jumping ship every time you're, you know, something else interests you. And it's just like, I think people, you know, with some, I don't know, fairy tale, you know, desire for that one specific person that once they get them, everything goes well, there's no issue, no anything, you know, a lot of people, they're jumping from person to person, whether they're saved or not. And I think that that is one of the biggest causes of divorce, because everyone is just trying to get something that satisfies me. You know, when, when, when God is showing his love, he's like, okay, I'm going to come in the flesh. You know, Jesus is going to come here and show love and die for you, you know, and, and, and then he does everything to serve, you know, it's not about me being servant. I think a lot of times this culture that we're in in society is always trying to find ways I need to be served. I need to get my pleasure. I need to, and that's what pornography does. As long as I have, and I, we're graphic, it's fine. As long as I have my orgasm, I'm happy. You know, when in reality, that person just became an object to you. It was never a matter of intimacy with them. You know, so it's definitely, it's definitely sad. I never really looked at it that way. So you just mentioned it, that some people, they'll never experience intimacy. They'll just experience sex. Yeah. And that's sad, you know, yeah. but, but in that, in that case, um, we, we briefly spoke on this before, so I don't, you don't have to talk too long if you don't want to, but how does a person break free from a soul tie then? You know, quote unquote, I get that there's no verse that says, hey, you have sex, you have a soul tie. I get that. But, you know, a person who, you know, made a lot of mistakes prior to getting saved and prior to your wife, you know, so how did you, you know, because you mentioned the prayer that you said right after, you know, your I do's, but how did you go about building that intimacy or breaking free from all of those emotions from the past, because I don't believe that's an instant yeah. process. Yeah, let's separate the um, the science and the logic from the emotion and the feeling, and let and and let me address both of them. So, when you have sex with somebody, so so God says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's a verse that Jesus references again in Matthew nineteen, and. And there's something really profound in there that we just kind of blow past that two people can become one. Like, how does that happen? And then now you have modern science and psychology say, no, 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 no. There's this phenomenon called sex glue that when you, when you experience an orgasm, your brain creates a synapse, which is kind of like a brain muscle that bonds you to your surroundings through your five senses. Now this is profound and it can be abused. And there's lots of examples of, of how it can be abused, but let's just take a, an adolescent boy who takes, who masturbates in the bathtub his entire life. That's his, that's his pattern. Well, then as an adult, he gets in water and, and he, his body begins to prepare itself for sex because that's the rhythm that mm-hmm. it's used to because he's bonded his five senses to the water. And you can, wow. people have bond to boots. They bond to all kinds of things. There's case studies around this. This was God's creation to bond us to our spouse so that as Monica's body changes, as she has, she's nine months pregnant, as she has three children, as, as she, you know, turns 62 years old, as, as, um, you know, as, as gravity and, and elasticity of skin takes, takes its toll and the sun takes its toll on her. She remains the epitome of attraction to me because she's my outlet for bonding. Now the 23 year old girl in college is still there with, with, you know, just, just pretty and made up and young, like the 80 year old man is still attracted to the 23 year old. But if his 80 year old wife remains his outlet for bonding, that marriage is safeguarded. 
there's a profound reality in that science. So to the to the 24 year olds having sex, they don't realize, man, they're messing with God's creation in their body, like the way that he made them, the biology and the science, you know, and like what's going on there that, that, that can't be undone quickly. So if we want to call that soul tie, so be it. Like, that's great. We can call that that. Uh, in addition, then. And, and within male and female, this is different, but then you bring in all the emotional attachment as well. Mm-hmm. And the affirmation, um, the way that we try to fill voids from our upbringing, our families of origin in, in the midst of relationships. And so there's no quick fix, as you say, outside of a miracle, which God does miracles, but outside of a miracle, there's no quick fix. It It looks like you know, you, you fix something unhealthy with something healthy and it, and it starts with repentance. I turn from my sin and I turn to God through Jesus, acknowledging that Jesus paid the price for my sin, that he covered my sin, that God who sits outside of time, he, he doesn't hold my sin against me. He says to, in his letter to the Corinthians that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8, 1, that I have been, have been uh clean you know he says in isaiah 118 purified and so that's kind of step one acknowledging the gospel and god's payment and then beginning to fill my life with healthy activity and healthy relationships so we say change your playmates in your playground you know change who who you you know who you who you have fun with and how you have fun get involved in a church have healthy activity do not isolate um, when you're ready and not before begin to pursue a healthy relationship from a romantic perspective. Um, and, and a lot of prayer, James five sixteen says that there's a prayer that only, I mean, there's a, there's a healing that only happens with other people praying for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, I want, if I'm a girl, I want to be in a small group of other girls who are committed to praying for me consistently. If I'm a guy in a small group with other guys who are committed to praying for me consistently. Right. And so these things, I mean, that's how you get over a soul tie, but the enemy is going to meet you in that and say, no, 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 go, you know, go get a gallon of ice cream, sit by yourself, cry yourself to sleep, move on, get on the rebound, bring in another relationship. You know, that's how he's going to say to do it. And yeah, you're just, you're putting a, a bandaid over a gaping bleeding wound when you do that man if we could just steal you like once a week for every episode uh, but, <laughs> let's go <laughs> but i want to i want to wind down with this question because you dropped a lot of a lot of jewels um but i think there's still going to be some people that listen to this episode that they're currently you know having a lot of sex outside of marriage or you know maybe they're recreational dating and what whatever whatever season they're in but for that person that right now is struggling with sexual sin or they're overcoming it, but the guilt is still there. What are your, what would you say to that young adult who's struggling with that, with the guilt of their sins? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to fear monger. Um, but before I deal with their guilt, I, I want, I want to say like, we are, we are laissez faire. We are relaxed, um, apathetic, passive towards sexual sin. It's just kind of the air we breathe. It's everywhere. And uh, it, this is where the enemy's attacking us. One time I saw this clip of a, of a toddler. It was like a clip on 60 Minutes or something. And it was a toddler, toddler carrying a 357 Magnum pistol, you know. 
and it was startling. The image was startling. You wanted to reach to the TV and say, no, no, you know, that's dangerous. I could kill you. And I think that's kind of what's happening with young adults as they experiment with sex. So we're like that toddler carrying a three, but we don't understand how dangerous it truly is. And to, and to separate like the danger and the gravity of what's going on with the shame and guilt, because shame and guilt is what Satan, that those are the, the language. That's the language that he speaks. Yeah. And it's not this, it's not the language that God speaks. God's like, I love you. I'll pay for your sin. What do you want me to do to show you that? I love you. You want me to allow my son to die for you. I'll do that for you. I love you that much, you know, and, and I have a, I have prepared a place for you and a hundred years from now, all that's going to matter is what did you do with Jesus? It's not going to matter if you had sex or didn't have sex or you had uh, had sex a million times or you were a prostitute or you sold yourself. You you paid people to have sex with you. It doesn't matter. Like it's going to all that's going to matter is what did you do with Jesus? A hundred years from now, a thousand years from now and a hundred billion years from now. That's the only thing that's going to matter as it relates to this topic. But today, I think you have the opportunity to say, I need help. You know, and you reach out to a pastor, uh, you you go to a recovery ministry, you turn to that relationship and you say, man, I am I am addicted to you. You know, I don't want to live life without you. You you affirm me in ways that I feel like I need. And yet this is toxic and it's killing me and it's hurting my faith. And, and there's this man who died for me named Jesus and God raised him from the dead. And I'm going to give my life to him and I'm going 100 with Jesus now. And I'm going to get involved in my church and I'm going to serve there and I'm going to use my gifts for God and I'm going to bring in community. I'm going to find some other Christians and I'm going to find the strongest Christian I know. And I'm going to ask them to meet with me once a week, you know, Thursday at 6 a.m. at Starbucks or my favorite coffee shop or whatever that is. And I'm just going to start to sit down at this table and I'm going to start to talk and get real about the junk that's in my life. And you do that and you're going to be okay. And you're like, how do you know? And I'm just like raising my hand and I'm telling you because I've done it, man, because I've done it and I've seen hundreds of young adults do it and healing is available to you. And it just starts with all you got to do right now, as you hear this, say, God, I need help. Would you give me the courage to, to break up with this person, to look for healthy relationships, to, to ask others for help? God, would you please help me? I need help. And he'll do it. I like the part you just mentioned in regards to diving in and getting involved in your church, because I believe most times when people try to encourage someone who's struggling with sin, like they'll just tell them, you know, how merciful God is and how good God is. And I think that's true. I'm not I'm not I'm not debating that. But the problem is, I feel as though many of our people, many of our young adults, they feel as though I need to get it together before I can help. I need to get it together before I can serve. You know, but I think about, you know, Peter, whereas he's, you know, Mr. Boisterous. Oh, God, I'll never deny you, Jesus. You know, I'm here with you till the end, you know, and Jesus is like, yeah, but you're going to deny me a couple of times before, before the rooster crows, you know? So he's like, yeah, I would never do that. And then basically Jesus is like, we'll see. And then he denies him and, you know, he's crying and he feels so far away from God. And, and after, but, but Jesus still has said, you know, that I will pray for you because the enemy's desiring to sift you as weed. And, and so we see Jesus before he fell, he's praying for him, letting him know that I know you're going to fall. I know you're going to fall. And I'm already letting you know, I'm praying for you to restore you. You're going to be restored. And then in the book of Acts, you see Peter is the one standing up talking about, oh, repent. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's so easy to think, oh, maybe another disciple. Why, why not Matthew? Or why not someone else to be the person to do it and let Peter just sit down and recover? You know what I mean? And it's so easy for the enemy to do that. 
you know, even if you feel forgiven, he still wants to silence you. He still yeah. wants you to feel as though you don't have a calling anymore. Yeah, you may go to heaven, but your ministry is invalid. Everyone is going to judge you, but that's just a lie of the enemy trying to silence God's purpose in your life. You know, Peter is the only one we see walking on water. And why did he walk on water? Because he was willing to get up when everyone else was sitting down. So yeah. I think you just made something that, that I think will definitely bless someone because it's so important for us to understand that, yes, God is able to forgive you. Yes, God wants to forgive you, but that doesn't mean he, he wants to stop using you for his kingdom's glory. Yeah. You know, so that's definitely a powerful thing that you just mentioned. I pray that whoever is listening to this, you know, do more than just buy the book, but but take heed to the words that was being said. I believe that this book can definitely, you know, minister to many of us, you know, I'm married and, I'm, and the book is ministering to me. I'm up reading it till 1230 last night, you know, but I think it's a, a definitely a great read. Pastor JP, I'm thankful for you. But before I absolutely end the episode, any last words you want to share, whatever God is laying on your heart, you know, feel free. Yeah. How much time do I have? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we only have about three hours per episode, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, there is something God's laying on my heart. I mean that in the most literal sense. And, uh, and so I'll be faithful to share it and you can cut it out if you need to, but you talk about Peter and you talk about dealing with shame. And so who imagine there's, if, if you hung in there with us this long and you, and you feel that shame, whatever you've done is not worse than what Peter did, because even if you denied Jesus, you didn't do it to his face. I mean, Jesus said, Jesus turned to Peter and looked at him and, and then Peter wept bitterly because he just sent his, his best friend to a death sentence. Jesus yeah. is literally going to get murdered now. And, um, but I want to, I want to bring your attention to a few things. Jesus found Peter, he was fishing and, uh, and, and Peter denied Jesus three times around a fire and there's 364 fires in the Bible. Um, but there's only two fires that are a coal burning fire. It's anthracia in the Greek. And, um, and so Jesus dies, he's tortured and he comes back to life and he goes to Peter. Peter's in a boat. And, and really Jesus recreates the moment that he found Peter and, uh, and, and, and he, and he calls him to him and Peter jumps out of the boat, like a, like a golden retriever and swims to him. And, uh, and then Jesus recreates that fire. It's the only second time you see out of the 364 fires in the scripture. The second time you see Anthrachia is when Jesus brings Peter around that same fire that he'd betrayed him and he restores him three times. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, yeah. do you feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And, and, and I'm saying that to your listeners, because I'm telling you that God goes to great lengths to restore you back to the purpose that he called you to. Mm -hmm. And, and I know you've lost your way in, in sex and pornography and pleasure and relationships, but God has something better for you. And you find that when you forfeit your plans and you turn to him. And so that's what I would ask your listeners to do right now. And uh, I believe that he has something great for you. The book is outdated. Subtitle, Find Love That Lasts When Dating Has Changed. And, and I wrote it to hopefully help people who desire marriage find what they're looking for. God is good, man. Phenomenal. This episode is definitely one of our best. Thank you for you, JP. Great I will time. have all of his information in the description box. I want you guys to check out the book. Please read the book. He has a couple of podcasts with the church and with the young adult ministry. So you will definitely um, be edified if you check those out as well. But yeah, man, it's, it's really nothing else to, to say, but, you know, God is good, man. Thank you. Thank you, JP. Appreciate it. You know, and for everyone else that's listening, we love y'all. See you next Thursday. Peace.